Welcome to This Is My Story, a podcast series on the real and raw journeys of many Australians. Brought to you by the Continence Foundation of Australia. We are the national peak body for bladder and bowel control health, supporting the one in four Australians who experience incontinence. Incontinence is a common condition, but in many cases it can be prevented, better managed and even cured. Seeking advice and support from a health professional is the first step. Join us each week as we bring you a different story and perspective from those who live with or have experienced incontinence. Welcome to This Is My Story. My name is Nicola Reid. My guest today is Greg Ryan. Greg was born with a rare congenital condition known as imperforate anus, which affects one in 5,000 babies. As a result, Greg has lived with bowel incontinence his whole life and is keen to share his story to help raise awareness and understanding for other people who live with incontinence. So welcome, Greg, and thank you so much for being my guest today. Thanks, Nicola. Pleasure to join you. Greg, imperforate anus, or IA, is a condition not many people will have heard of. Can you explain what it is? Yeah, I will. Um, You're definitely right where it's not a condition not many people have heard of. Um, And these days it also has another uh, name, anorectal malformation. So between imperforate anus or anorectal malformation. What it is essentially is that a child is born either without a bowel opening or a very small bowel opening, or it uh, goes to another, like the females, that they can have the all goes to the front end, not the back end. So it's, but it's a very, uh, I'm sure, it's not a rare condition because it's one in 5,000 babies are born with it, but it's, it's rarely known, I suppose you could say, um, Anyone you tell that you can be born with, they just people just can't believe it. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So when I was born with it fifty eight years ago, right. And can you describe for me, Greg, the daily challenges you find living with this condition? Yes. Well, I've always for whole my, my whole life I've dealt with incontinence issues and constipation as well, and because. One of the things is you have your you have your surgeries to create the opening, etc. But in my case, I was born with no anal muscles or rectal muscles or sphincter muscles, so I've got nowhere nerves there. So you don't know if you've got any stool in your rectum, which uh, can be a bit uh, problematic at times, as you could imagine. Mm. So, um, so yeah. You, and you can have what they call muc- a lot of mucus leakage when you've got because you've got no control of your muscles. So I've dealt with all my life, as I said, just um, the uh, incontinence and the constipation and whatever. It's it's a daily challenge. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like there's a, a great unpredictability around that as well, Greg. Oh yeah, I I tell a lot of parents of children born with our condition that. It's consistently inconsistent. Mm, yeah. You just never know. Yeah, sure. So I guess that means you must have a, a great level of preparedness and readiness every day. You wouldn't be thinking not be thinking about it. Yeah, you just you just have to be alert. Mm. Um I find that you I have this adapt and adjust mentality to depending on what situations 
might happen. Like I could be totally fine and then I'd get up and start walking and then I realise I've had a bit of incontinence and mm. and I don't realise that because there's no feeling in the rectum. So, and that can come at any stage. So you're right, it's, I don't let it rule my life, but you just have to be aware of it and, you know, have to wear incontinence pads, et cetera, just to be, uh, make sure that you're safe. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a part of your life, of course. Oh yeah. Big part. <laughs> yeah. Greg, um, up until about four years ago, I think is correct. You say you lived your life in secret, not wanting anyone to know what you were dealing with. Can you tell me what changed that? Yeah, well, what happened is uh, a couple of years before that, I was just, you know, in, probably in a very bad place mentally. And I was just, I had no idea how to cope with things. And I just typed in perfect anus on Google. Mm-hmm. And I, much to my surprise, I found that there was a, like a, a Facebook community out there. So um, I then, um, put a post up to say I'm an adult from Australia, da da da, and then incredibly, uh, I got a lot of replies, and specifically got a reply from a parent of a, a child in Melbourne, who said that they had there was some, they had a small community group here in Melbourne, and I was absolutely blown away because I, I was convinced I was the only person in the world that had it, mm. and progressively then I just started opening up more and more in this private community world. Um, and that and that probably took 18 months, two years, just feeling my way through that because I'd never anticipated I'd ever tell anybody about my secret. Like it was the most closely guarded thing in my life mm. because of the shame and the embarrassment and the taboo nature of the, the condition. Um, and then I, I went to a... I ended up making the decision to go travel to America and to... Um, around 2016 to go to a conference run by an organisation called the Pull Through Network, which was dealing with all IA families and that. And there was like 250, 300 people there. And I gave a, a speech at the conference. And then I got to meet a lot of paediatric doctors who specialised in condition. And because they really hadn't heard a lot from adults who had survived the condition. Mm. So, um, I probably hit them between the eyes a bit, given the realities of uh, what it's like living with the condition, especially after you leave you leave the paediatric care, because mm-hmm. there is a perception that it's a paediatric problem. Because when you have the you're born with the condition, you have a few operations when you're young, and then there's this thing that it's like if you have your operations where you're fixed, but it's it's they can it's more of a corrective surgery than a fix. Mm-hmm. Um. And then, like within twelve months, I'd I'd come back from overseas, and I'd spoken to a good friend of mine who said I really should write a memoir, and that's how it came out. And then a couple of years later, I the memoir came out, and um, so I went from total secret to the opposite three sixty, one eighty, I should say. <laughs> and um, yeah, I've I've lived without the secret since. Mm, is is that a relief in some ways, Greg? Uh, I get this is probably the biggest question I get asked since I wrote the book. You know, how 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 has it made any difference to my life? Well, the reality is the only difference is that 
people know now, but mm. I'm still dealing with the same physical and emotional challenges. It's just that I suppose I, I don't have to hide it as much now, but it doesn't affect me physically any different. And that's the that's the big thing. Of course, yeah. And it sounds like, Greg, um, the biggest thing for you has been connection, like, um, you know, finding other people who have the same condition when you said in your book, you know, you grew up as a child thinking you were the only one. Yep. Oh, yeah, Nicola, Nicola that's absolutely, that's that's what changed it because, you know, mm. I was convinced that I was the only person in, in the world with the condition. Mm. Uh, and you've got to understand as well, uh, when I grew up, there was no such thing as the internet or support groups or, you know, and because you keep the secret, you only have your own doctors. It's not like you go out and um, talk to other, well, GPs. Like I was incredibly fortunate. I had a wonderful general practitioner, Dr. David Damry, who looked after me since I was three months old. And he always said he wasn't an expert in IA, but he was an expert in me. And that's mm. what it was, you know, and he was my mm. confidant and, my protector, or so I suppose, when it come to the condition that I can talk to, because I just felt like I couldn't talk to anyone else because no one would get it. Mm-hmm. And that's really challenging, isn't it, when you have to keep explain your story over and over again? But if you've got someone who's followed you on that journey and supported you, that's great. Yeah, well, the only the only people I actually did explain it to was really me, if I was referred to an adult colorectal surgeon because I just wouldn't talk to anyone else about it because of the the shame and the embarrassment I felt. Mm. And do you think over time, Greg, that some of those barriers about talking about it have broken down? Um, oh, I would say that the the internet has been, I know the internet has been, <laughs> a lot of people think it's one of the worst things with Google and social media and all that, but for our community, it's been life changing. Mm. It really has because it's yeah. it's brought us out from behind the darkness in as, as such. But you know, where where we feel safe when we can talk to other people and families and other adults in particular, like all the adults around my my vintage, are like you know, we all feel the same way. As soon as pe- people join a group that I I run, an adult group, you know. They get very emotional because they've spent all their life thinking that they were the only one in the world, just like me. Mm, mm, that can be a very lonely experience, kind of. Oh, incredibly, incredibly. Yeah. And the emotional toll that it takes on you is overwhelming, actually. Yeah, yeah, I can absolutely understand that. Um, in your book, Greg, you say that the mental health challenges have probably been the hardest in living with IA. Can you elaborate a bit more on that? Yeah, I, it's it's a twofold thing. It's as you get older, you and you develop relationships, or when you're in a workplace environment or a social environment, all that, and when you get caught, what I call caught out. It's really, really difficult. Like, you know, you have to make hasty retreats from from wherever. Um, whenever you go out, you have to know where the toilet is sort of like automatically. Mm. Uh, and a lot of it's to do with the shame and embarrassment, especially like for males, we don't talk about this stuff. Mm. 
so and that for me was a, a massive issue that I didn't want I didn't want to be judged by it mm. like if I was having issues like when I was at school I'd have accidents all the time and you know you become the smelly kid and all that and that that I think that sort of like uh, becomes ingrained in your mind mm. and, and as well you know to have this condition when you're young you have to have a lot of surgeries you have to have a lot of intr- intrusive and invasive procedures so it's it all manifests itself as as you grow up it's just it's all there mm. emotionally and like i i was i started in my mid 30s really struggling emotionally and you know i had a massive breakdown mental breakdown which i had to stop work for 18 months so and that was like 20 22 23 years ago now um and I've I've been seeing a psychiatrist every two or three weeks since, mm-hmm. just to keep going. Um, and as the psych says, he can't he can assist he can support me with my mental health, but it doesn't change my physical issues that I have. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of just just keeping keeping on top of things. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, it's great that you've got that support ongoing as well. Oh yeah, I'd be lost without it. I know. I know that <laughs> support and connection is, is so much of what we need, isn't it? Um, particularly when we're dealing with a lot of challenges. So, Greg, um, you've connected a lot with other people with um, IA, um, and that's children and families as well. Um, can you tell me a bit about your One in Five Thousand Foundation and the work that you do? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Nicola. I. I actually created the One in 5,000 Foundation um, as a non-for-profit organisation to coincide with the release of my book, A Secret Life, because when I wrote the book, I wanted it to mean something and I didn't want to have any personal gain or whatsoever. So I was talked to a couple of good friends of mine. I said, well, this is what I want to do. I want to make this worthwhile, such and you know, to increase awareness or globally so that's when i came up with the now name one in five thousand because unfortunately the imperfect anus is not the greatest name in the world to promote <laughs> um so i wanted it to be different and so when i everything from the book all the sales proceeds of the book everything goes to the one in five thousand foundation and we have got a really um a good very large presence on the facebook worldwide now Mm-hmm. And you know everyone sort of like becomes feels like they're a part of a, a one in five thousand their child or their adult or whatever, and it's it's been the most satisfying thing I've ever done because it's you know we're, it's given awareness to not just an information not just to people who are dealing with the condition or their families but into the broader public as well, mm. and that's and that and that's what I wanted to do right from the start and uh, and we've had. We've been able to do some wonderful things. We've uh, we've funded some surgeries for little kids over in Ghana in Africa who were born with IA. Um, we've been able to do some surgery, and we've been able to send um, a whole heap of um, unused stoma supplies from Australia over to them to help the kids because they don't have any bags or whatever. The kids walk around with exposed stomas, etc. And, and as well, we've had we've been able to. Um, 
contribute some money to a scholarship fund for the um, color, uh, the colorectal and pelvic reconstruction service at the Royal Children's Hospital, uh, ran by Professor Sebastian King, who specialises in um, IA and Hirschsprung's patients. So we've been able to help out there, and you know, and we've had some wonderful families do fundraisers for us, etc. So uh, it's you know, it's it's grown beyond my wildest expectations. But you know, and we just, especially online, it's it's there for to help whoever wants to know a bit more about the condition and support each other. That's great. That's such a fantastic support and fantastic work. And um, your other book, Greg, Rare and Resilient, um, is an amazing sort of example of where people have had the opportunity to share their stories. And um, it's been quite quite a diverse range of stories, but I think, you know, that people being able to share their stories has really been very liberating for a lot of them as well. Oh, absolutely. And what it was sort of like a couple of years after I'd done my my own book, I th- I know I'd, I'd been talking to so many people in the community and I thought, I just got to get these stories out there. So, you know, I came up with this concept to write, do this book and I'll put it out there on our social media page and the information group. And we ended up getting 120, uh, 100, sorry, 132 stories from people from 26 countries around the world be it parents, kids, teenagers, adults. And it's it's been wonderful. They're only just short stories, you know, nothing more than 2,000 words or so, but it just shows that the our condition is globally. And, and I know it has helped, especially the medical profession, mm. be more aware of the impacts of what living with IA has on families and adults, et cetera, and, it's yeah, it's been really good. Mm. And and that's been a big part of your focus too, hasn't it, Greg? That it's like like you said earlier, it's not just a pediatric issue. Um, there are adults living with IA. Um, and you know, you really want to raise that awareness amongst the medical community in particular. Yeah, especially especially with the adult colorectal fraternity, Nicola, because mm. the reality is as I said earlier, it's the perception is that it's a pediatric problem, yeah, which it's not, mm. and uh, yeah. the mental health impacts it ha- has on adults is extreme. Mm. And we've got data, and we've had there's been studies and that which back that up, and that's largely because that the once the once we leave the pediatric care, the adult colorectal surgeons don't they're not used to seeing surge patients like us, mm. right? And because um, it's the perception is it's a pediatric issue, rightly or wrongly. So, um, and that's why it's, uh, yeah, I'm I'm passionate about trying to get the adult colorectal surgeons to have a greater understanding of what our condition is. Mm. Yeah, so even if there's no more surgery, there's at least an understanding of the care, the ongoing care that's required. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And, you know, they're used to dealing with sort of like a lot more like uh, uh, Professor King at the Children's came up with a wonderful analogy once. He said, pediatric surgeons reconstruct and adult colorectal surgeons deconstruct. 
because they're used to sort of like, you know, might have some of the cancers or whatever, whatever serious they have bags and whatever. So it's a very, it's a very spot on analogy, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Greg, in your book, Secret Life, you describe what's obviously been a lifelong challenging journey living with AI and its related complications. What is the message you'd like to get across to other people who live with incontinence? Um, don't feel like they have to do it alone. Mm. I'm I'm very much in the in the camp of of getting as much emotional support or from doctors or whoever counselors or whoever to help you through because with incont because it's a physical issue that's you know unpredictable especially in our community mm. uh, you can it, it ends up becoming very difficult to deal with if you have accidents or you're in a situation where something happens and you know i wish i had started getting more like mental health awareness when i was younger mm. and i i'm very much of the fact that especially for men who we don't like to talk about these things i think that's a really important part of it myself that's i can only get everyone's different of course yeah and obviously you know you need to find someone you can trust and you feel comfortable with to talk about these um issues Correct. As you said, talking about it helps and uh, it also helps other people to understand as well. Yeah, and, and they might have a they might have some issues that they feel like they need to talk to someone about it as well. But um special I mum really I know how it's saved my life to be honest. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a really important message for for everyone that help and support is always available and um Sometimes it's just a matter of reaching out and sometimes it's also a matter of knowing where to go for that information as well. Yep. And I know the Commons Foundation have a uh, hotline that they can always ring and talk to the special nurses or whatever and they can refer them to people. So I'd encourage yeah. people if they're dealing with incontinence issues, definitely think of your mental health. Yes, definitely. Thank you. Thank you for that. And that helpline service is free and confidential and um, we'll have more about that in the show notes. Um, Greg, we've been very lucky to have you at the Foundation as a, a dedicated supporter of the Bins for Blokes campaign. Uh, for those who don't know, Bins for Blokes is a campaign to promote the installation of uh, bins for disposal of incontinence products in male public toilets. Can you um, explain why this has been such an important campaign for you, Greg? Yeah, I've, I've been, I've loved being a part of this. And when it was first uh, uh, mentioned to me a few years ago when I was in, involved at the Condens Foundation, I just thought this would be so helpful for so many people. Mm. And for someone who's gone to like sporting events or go to the football or whatever, and you've been caught out and you might have an accident, et cetera, and you need to change it because I have to wear a pad all the time. Mm. And there's just, it's really difficult because when you have to change a pad, you know, most of the male's toilets only just have a waste paper bin just sitting out in the open. And to have something like a, a sanitary bin in a cubicle, it doesn't have to be in each one of them. It would just be, it'd be life changing for so many people. Mm. And it's, you know, it's both bladder and bowel. Yeah. You know, and the statistics show that there's a, 
over a million boys and men that deal with incontinence issues. So to have to get um, organisations and businesses and shopping centres and sporting arenas, etc., to get them on board, it's just it's it's a no brainer to be honest and <laughs> it's so interesting the amount of ladies i've spoken to who actually said that they weren't aware that men didn't even have these facilities in the, the toilets yeah you know so it's it's a slow burn of course and you just got to get people uh people on board but i know it's you know it will be it can be life-changing so some men might have an issue that they just feel like they can't leave the house because they might have to change their pad or whatever and it's, you know mm. to have a bin there would just make life so much easier so mm. as i said it's a no-brainer to me it's just a matter of getting getting everyone on board yeah yeah and again, and I'll, again do whatever, and I'll do whatever i can to help that Fantastic. And we really appreciate your support. And I know you've been instrumental in helping us to get those into uh, the male public toilets at the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre and the Wacker Sports Ground in Perth, which is exciting. And um, we're working on others as we speak, aren't we, Greg? Yeah, we're working on a couple of really big uh, projects at the moment to get them in. Hopefully uh, that'll all come to fruition and, you know, it'll be wonderful news for everybody. Absolutely. And like you said, that helps men who are dealing with this to get be able to get out and about in the community with confidence. That's the key, Nicola. That's the key. That's the key. Yeah. So, Greg, is there a, another book in you on the horizon? Um, well, there actually is at the moment. Oh. Yeah, it's been a project they've been working on for a while now. But uh, we're doing a children's book. Oh, great. And it's going to be called The Adventures of Sneaky the Pooper. <laughs> and how Sneaky, uh, uh, how he develops a relate, how him or her develop a relationship with a, a little boy born in Australia and a little girl born in America. And over the first few years with IA, and how Sneaky helps the family and the, the children deal with IA and just give it a little bit more awareness as well. So, Hopefully within a couple of months that'll be out there and available. So uh yeah, that's that's the next big big thing for us. Yeah. Oh, that sounds amazing. And that will just help so many children and their families. Yeah, and it, like you know, there'll be it'll feature sneaky in a stoma bag, etc., like in a little character and all that. So it'll destigmatize that that bit yeah. part of it as well. So that's yeah. uh yeah, hopefully um yeah, it's it's getting there, but it's been a slow process. Yeah, that's very exciting news. I'm very excited to hear another book. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But um, as far as the foundation, we'll just keep doing what we're doing. You know, we'll do anything that we can to raise awareness for our condition. And you know, we we're global now, so you know, we're we're pretty active out there in the global space. And uh, I'm always trying to connect people with the right doctors or connect people with families who might have children the same age or and adults and that. So that, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's my job, <laughs> I suppose, you know, even though it's a, a, a charity, it's, mm. I feel it's, it's my fate, my focus in life. Oh yeah. And clearly those connections would mean an enormous amount to people and their families as well. So it's amazing, fantastic work, Greg. Oh, well, I do my best. <laughs> you do a fantastic job. 
Well, thank you so much for being my guest on the podcast today, Greg. I really appreciate you sharing your story so frankly and openly. And um, thank you very much. Thanks, Nicola. It's been an absolute pleasure. appreciate you uh, asking about what IARM is all about. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Greg's books are A Secret Life and Rare and Resilient. For more information on these and the One in 5000 Foundation, go to the show notes for this episode. This is the last episode in the first series of This Is My Story. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these podcasts and we would really love your feedback. Please go to the show notes for today's episode and fill out the survey there to let us know what you think, what you would like to hear more of in the future, anything you liked or disliked, all feedback is very welcome. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for listening to today's podcast, brought to you by the Continents Foundation of Australia. The Foundation supports all Australians living with or at risk of incontinence. Remember that support is available. For more information, go to continents.org.au or call the National Continents Helpline on one 800 3300066 to speak with a nurse continence specialist. They offer free confidential information, advice and support. The helpline is open from 8am to 8pm Monday to Friday, excluding national public holidays. The primary purpose of this podcast is to share personal stories and experiences. It is not a substitute for professional medical advice. Please consult your medical professional or healthcare provider if you require medical advice or treatment.